1: Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised.
0: Welcome back, everybody.
2: It's I for an Eye podcast. I'm your girl, Lisa. We're here with Ranger, Jules, and Matt. So,
1: Hello, everyone.
2: We're back with a thrilling case. Here we are. It's a Sunday. I wonder what day it is when you're listening to this. It comes out on a Monday. If you're a true fan, it will be Monday. <laughs> if not, it might be another day, and we love you regardless of when. Except if it's Wednesday. Except, yeah, yeah, and then you're dead to (laughs) us. Matt is going to take us on a journey tonight, today, this evening. This afternoon.
1: Into the morrow.
2: Into the morrow.
1: Do we want to rock and roll? All right, let's dive in. In the 1970s and 1980s, women were disappearing in the area surrounding Seattle of King County at an alarming rate. Two of the most prolific serial killers in American history were active at the same time in the same place if you can imagine and americans were paralyzed with fear during this period of time primarily women in that area were the targets of two of the most maniacal men in history
2: let me just say women are always in fear yeah
1: that is a very good point yeah i'm sorry i should say that it's never not a parallel why
2: are men garbage oh, we are gonna do a off show just about why men are just garbage can
1: um, i'm gonna need it to be like an eight hour Netflix <laughs> special with three seasons that are guaranteed signed up front and i'll definitely star in that i'm all over it you just make me the whole first season one of those men the garbage bags we have covered in this podcast already and the other we will discuss today most everyone knows one of these two names, right? If I say the name Ted Bundy, you know who the fuck I'm talking about. If you don't know who I'm talking about, good for you.
2: Ted Bundy's episode, if you are not familiar with this case, which I'm sure all of you are, we did cover Mr. Bundy. I don't like calling him Mr. Bundy.
1: Actually, remarkably, it looks like Zac Efron. No, I'm kidding.
2: Well, Zac Efron, I guess, remarkably looks like Ted Bundy. Episode 18, go check it out. That is our Ted Bundy episode where you will learn all about
0: the non-average teddy bear, Ted Bundy. Also, I'm going to shout out the Ted Indian murder. Did he do that? Yeah. That yeah. was a good episode. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, right. 21.
2: We had a guest speaker for that. It was special guest, Ray. Yeah. It's Ray. Oh, go, Ray. Ray. Yeah,
1: yeah. We got to get Ray back. We got to get
2: Ray, back. shout out. We know you're listening and we will talk to you soon about getting on.
1: Ray, my dog. We're going to be reaching out to you. Yeah. Everybody, as I said, we know the name Ted Bundy, right? He's infamous and associated with dozens of gruesome murders all over the United States throughout the seventies and eighties. This dude was well-known at the time, young women, girls had been disappearing all over Utah, Washington, and Colorado for months. Primarily, the majority of these dead women were turning up in Washington. And for the time that they were active, Ted Bundy and today's subject managed to kill well over 100 women. Wait. Between the two of them. If you add the two together, it's over 100.
2: Well over a hundred women.
1: If that's the case, we're fucked.
2: That's a lot that's of
1: women. It's a lot of women.
2: Like a serial killer, I think it's over what, like
1: three right? three in a row? Yeah, like a spree killing would be like consecutive. And then it would be 100? more than two is the serial killer. How now.
2: many did Gary kill? We're gonna talk
1: about it. I'll get into his name in a minute. We're going to talk more about what his moniker, what he was known as because of how he got it. The man we're referring to today had a very similar standard modus operandi to Ted Bundy. They were actually remarkably similar. We'll talk back about that. He preyed on the easiest and least noticed targets to accumulate mass casualties. He would later admit in interviews that he was obsessed with sex workers and had an inclination driving him that would eventually become an obsession. After picking women up, this man would drive his truck to an obscure location usually predetermined, sometimes varying based on convenience or police presence. He would have sex with them and then strangle his victims. Sometimes in the midst of the carnal act, he would strangle his victims, which is, wow. He did return to visit his victims, which is one thing that he and Ted Bundy had in common. It's chilling that they were both necrophiles. Yeah, he would leave his victims out in the woods to be found by authorities. He wanted to be incognito at the same time he wanted the publicity this guy was a bit of a connut like what should we say he was a bit of a weirdo an enigma is the word he wanted to flaunt his success and show that law enforcement was nowhere near catching him at the time as part of his ongoing sexual fantasy the efficient and cold killer would then dump his victims in or near the nearby Green River where they would be discovered Relatively easily by somebody hiking, not exactly dumping them in the city. You know, it's not like anybody's going to find them. Somebody goes out hiking, walking their dog, you just stumble upon a naked woman's body. There it is.
2: Yeah, he didn't do much to actually, like,
1: he didn't cover it up, right? He wasn't burying them and shit. Part of his fantasy was the domination, the complete control of his victims. One woman actually survived. Which I think is crazy because, honestly, you get in the car with somebody, you're already taking a risk. Then you get attacked by a serial killer and you manage to walk away. That's badass bitch. Part of his fantasy, as we said, was the domination. He wanted to control his victims. And the woman who survived this encounter with him described how quickly his demeanor changed once they got to this remote location to have sex. She said he turned and glared at her with a look of pure evil. She saw it in his eyes. Funny enough though, this man, for the large part, was considered quiet, friendly, and a generally normal guy. He was married, he granted was married three times. His last marriage was for 17 years to a woman that he later claimed he very much loved. He didn't have any kids, he was married, he had a job for 30 years at the Kenworth Trucking Company. In a very steady life.
2: See, that makes me wonder, though. Do you think the wife would have any idea, or do you think he really did have a total double life?
1: It seemed to me like it was more the former. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I don't think.
2: You know, can you imagine if you found out if that was killing bitches on the side? He has the uh, talent for that. The talent.
1: He doesn't. He's not evil.
2: Matt does. Look at him. He got all quiet. His fucking cadaverous body is all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No
1: comment, least, no comment. I'm going to keep that mysterious for anybody listening. They do think I'm a serial killer. One day I'll do an episode on myself. <laughs> yeah, what if honestly, we wrote one of these episodes? We haven't covered this case before guys. put at the very end, and his name was me. <laughs> no. Again, he was considered a very normal guy. No one knew of these fits of murderous rage until one victim placed his car on a scene. Indicated the company he worked for, and that was openly displayed for everybody to see. Literally, this guy basically got caught by an eyewitness account, and later through some technological advancements that we will discuss and how important that is, because that became a big, big breaking point in this case.
0: What's the other Michelle McNamara? What is what the Golden State Killer? Yes. That got solved recently, yeah, because of like new advances.
1: That guy is actually now yeah. the most prolific serial killer. Before it was this dude. Yeah. He has since passed him.
0: Michelle McNamara.
1: McNamara is
0: married to Patton Oswalt. She's since passed away. They kept going on the the investigation after she passed away to find out his his name's like Joseph. Something he's a creepy old man, hey,
1: Joseph D'Angelo. Joseph that's it, yeah. That's it, yeah. As Macklemore, <laughs> <It's> just- um, <laughs> that's him. That's the guy.
0: I'm gonna pop some tags.
1: I'm gonna pop some tags. I'll be killing women in my back <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm not on stage, not right?
0: To institutionalize us oh, today. Man. It's be something wrong.
1: I just need to go, bro. I need to go to sleep. Anyways, so, for those of you who are not aware of the person we're talking about yet, it wasn't until many years later that we discovered who the Green River Killer, as he would come to be known, really was.
0: I'm sorry, the reason for my whole tangent was because... There are murders that the Green River Killer did that was credited towards the state scheme. and vice versa. Like, there was yeah. just the whole head
1: Bundy too. That was like no, the West
2: Coast was Just
0: like, do you think cut it
2: off? you'd be pissed if you were a serial killer and you weren't getting credit for the crimes that you were committing? Yes, yes.
0: I think that's I'd, part of yeah. the why they do
1: big part. Of well,
0: it. some I would say not, maybe not all. They you want guys the, would the
1: scroll reality. down. My, my second, the last question before I ask us if I, for or not. Is there something about Seattle y'all good <laughs> or, <laughs> like, or, Florida, or-, or Florida? Yeah. Why are there people killing so many people out there?
2: That is a really interesting point
0: actually. Cause we always talk about Florida. Seattle has a lot of serial killers. A
1: lot serial killers, dude. Yeah.
0: Blink once if you were in danger.
1: Yeah, for real. If you're there, call us, man, we'll come down there and save your ass. Let's talk a little bit about him. A little bit about the background of this gentleman. His real name is Gary Ridgeway. Gary Ridgeway was born February 18th, 1949 in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was the middle child of three boys. Gary, as a child, had some learning disabilities. He was dyslexic. He had an IQ in the low 80s and got some early stigmas of being a, just a bit troubled. You know, he had some issues that he was dealing with. You could kind of tell. It's reported that he even wet the bed until he was almost 14 years. Old.
2: That's one of the cardinal signs. It
1: triggers, right? Yeah, we talked about it. He wasn't killing animals. He wasn't starting fires. He was pissing the bed.
2: Which did. is a really strange not to go off on another tangent. I wonder why, though. I've always wondered. Like, the killing animals makes sense to me. Setting fires makes sense to me. I wonder why peeing the bed is one of the because signs.
1: Because it's involuntary, right? You don't realize what you're doing until you've already woken up in a Piss filled bed. You're killing an animal. You're like, okay. I'm killing this animal. You're starting a fire. You have I mean. to do something. Yeah, I agree. The
2: other two make sense. Okay, you're like a little malicious devil. Thing.
1: Yeah, and you like burning shit. Yeah, like, like
2: it has to do with emotional damage. damage. Right? Maybe, Maybe yeah. Or developing. Talking rock. to that.
1: This actually is weird because it's funny you say that, Jules. The next part of this is part of what stems from what I think his big confusion with women was for his whole life.
0: Did he have mommy issues?
1: He had some mommy issues. Supposedly, he had a very conflicted relationship with his mother. She was both physically and mentally abusive towards him, unfortunately.
2: Okay, I think that's where the wedding the bed comes from. It comes from something.
1: Uh Psychological abuse. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, honestly, that would be something worthy of further investigation. Why is that one of the signs? I've always said, where does that criminal element start and stop? At what point are you, I'm cool with. Going out on Devil's Night and egging cars. Where's that line in the sand draw with the criminal element? Like, I've stolen a lot of shit from convenience stores. I'm not robbing a convenience store. You? you Yeah.
2: (laughs) was committing uh, crimes. By the
1: police. Back to our previously scheduled serial killer. It seems as though he had a very confused relationship with sex from an early age as well. He had issues socializing normally. Really couldn't get along well with other children. And at age 15... He stabbed a six-year-old boy just to see, ready for this? Just to see, quote, how stabbing worked. He's got some confused feelings about violence and sex and intermingling them. It started from a very young age.
2: Was anything done about that?
1: Ridgway actually told a psychologist that he was interested in stabbing because he was struggling with being sexually attracted to his own mother. He wanted to kill his mother because...
0: You just said he wanted to have sex with
1: her. That's why he was confused between. There are some reports about his younger days. Some accounts said that his father, who was a bus driver, had a problem with all the sex workers that were around. I also read that Gary was the one bringing them around, or if his dad was. He was 16, 17 at the time. I don't know if he could have even, you know. Enable, able or i guess you can at any time they don't have like a law about like are you 18 i couldn't really find anything conclusive about that if anybody can shed some light it seems as though gary had an obsession with sex workers even from a developmental age and then started acting on it during his teen years he was always kind of fascinated by the idea that huh, if i have money i can get laid despite his home life though being somewhat troubled Gary actually put up a largely normal front throughout most of his early years. I mean, he had a couple issues at home, and he clearly was a little confused about his mother. A little, yeah. A little? To put it mildly, he was a little confused, you know. Gary was pretty normal for the largest part. His whole early life, nothing crazy, nothing to write home about. He married his high school sweetheart right after he graduated high school. Graduated high school a little late at the age of 20. He was held back years. As we said, he had some developmental issues. And he joined and served in the US Navy for two years. He spent time in Vietnam and supposedly even saw combat while aboard a naval vessel. He also, at the time, since this is what we're talking about, used the services of many sex workers during his times overseas. Even about with gonorrhea couldn't deter him. He continued to have many, many friends of the sex worker trade and continued to spend his money on it. After he returned from the service, Ridgeway decided to settle down in the Seattle area. He and his wife divorced after only a year, probably because she heard about his activities while in the service, come back with gonorrhea, he ain't really hiding that. Shortly thereafter, after his divorce, he got a job painting trucks at Kenworth, and he held that job for about three decades. Dude was just working a normal job, managed to hold down a steady job while also being a prolific serial killer. I mean, even
0: if you're a serial killer, you got to pay your bills.
1: That's true. That's true. You know, yeah, my buddy Gary at work, and then you're watching the news one day, and it's like, I know this fucking guy. You never really know, kids, truly. Be nice to everybody, maybe not too friendly. Not long after Ridgway moved home, he started having his first encounters with the law. He was arrested for allegedly choking a sex worker and for solicitation in the early 80s. As the years went on, his crimes actually... Escalated from choking and assault to more violence, and escalated from assault to committing murder. Let's talk a little bit about this man's murder spree, which went on for far too long. It's widely believed that he first began killing on July 5th, 1982, after he met a 16-year-old girl who'd run away from her foster home named Wendy Cofield. Her murder was the buildup of a long bout with violence and uncompromised feelings of rage towards women, and particularly women whom Gary viewed to be of lesser value than himself. That was his rationalization. That became Gary's M.O. for his crimes. He preyed on vulnerable runaways. He targeted sex workers, typically women in their late teens, early 20s, whom he picked up at truck stops and dive bars along highway 99 outside seattle he would basically like frequent these you know seedier spots he knows where the sex workers are he knows where to meet them after luring his victims into his car for sex he'd often gain their trust by showing them photos of his son it was his way of putting his victims at ease in an already tense situation they would then engage in sexual activity before he strangled them to death sometimes in the middle of having sex Ridgway would asphyxiate his victims and get them to pass out, and then proceed to rape them, have his way with them, sometimes even after they had expired. The way he achieved sexual gratification was to completely dominate his victims, get them to the point that they were incapable of fighting back, and then continually rape them. Ridgway can be clinically diagnosed as what we would call a sexual sadist, because he derived off of the pain of other people, and that was his sexual release. After he was finished with his victims, Ridgway would dump their bodies in secluded wooded areas near the Green River, which is obviously where he got his name. His intent was that they would be found, not easily and not quickly, necessarily. He was less concerned with being caught than most would think, primarily because he didn't believe the people he was killing would be missed.
0: That is awful. I always think, I don't know the quote, I'm going to screw it up, but it's like, everybody is somebody's son or daughter. Yeah. But right like
1: crazy. Crazy. You're right, Jules, honestly.
0: Even if one single person misses them.
1: I always think, how many of these women had kids that they didn't come home to that night? A lot of people who are sex workers do that to feed their families.
2: This is a big conversation, though, about sex work being decriminalized because a lot of Sex workers are put in really precarious positions, not only because of their job and how, unfortunately, people view them. Also because they can't go get help because a lot of the time they end up going to jail.
1: It's a damn shame, too, because people are often overlooked, unfortunately. He wasn't totally wrong about that. And a guy like Gary Ridgway took full advantage of that and preyed on those women. It's awful. His victims' bodies were often left in clusters in certain particular areas that he could go revisit. Sometimes posed and usually nude, he would sometimes return to the victim's bodies and have sexual intercourse with them, which has always been such a mindfuck to me. Ridgway would later explain that he did not find necrophilia more sexually satisfying. Having sex with the deceased reduced his need to obtain a living victim and thus limited his exposure to being caught. Yeah.
0: Sounds like a really weird rationale or whatever you want to call it.
1: That's what I would call it. Really weird rationale.
0: I'm a creep only because then I don't hurt living people. I'm a creep.
1: Because most of the bodies were not discovered until much later and only skeletons remained. Two of his victims are still as yet unidentified. And this is the thing. Gary was, again, he had some developmental issues. He's a little different. He was dyslexic. He was actually a pretty efficient serial killer. If we're giving the guy credit for anything, not something you ever want to be viewed as. Like, yeah, he's pretty good at killing people. Um, he actually was able to ev- evade capture for almost 20 years. He would purposely do things that would kind of throw the police off the set. You know, he would leave the bodies in a really obscure place where how the hell did they get here? He would also purposely contaminate crime scenes with things like gum, cigarette butts. And since he didn't smoke or chew gum, he would use that to throw authorities off. You got to think he's grabbing old cigarette butts and old chewed pieces of gum, bringing them with him. It's gross.
2: It's a really interesting way to throw someone off your track. It is,
1: right? Honestly, before DNA evidence, that was the shit that they used to tie people. Like, hey, man, this was the boot that you wear to work. We found this boot print in the mud where the body was. Or then we found this cigarette. You smoked Marlboro Reds, right? It was circumstantial evidence that they just piled up. and All right, it's this guy. Before DNA, that was all they had. He kind of got the sense, and he really wasn't as far off about his victims' profiles as we would hope. A lot of times, these women were viewed as second class. The detectives were like, hey, we got other bodies to figure out. You know, like, the woman was a sex worker. What do you want me to say? Sometimes that happens. Gary also having this not-so-outlandish idea that he was outwitting everyone in law enforcement because he was picking the right people, putting them in the right places, and throwing them off the trail. Occasionally, he would even do things in like he would dump a body in one place, leave it for a time, then transport it to another location to create a false trail.
0: Who has the time? I
2: know. I guess this is all happening probably in the middle of the night when people
1: are sleeping.
0: Yeah. What do you think his wife thought that he was doing? Or do you think he just worked late?
1: I don't know. I, I, I honestly think there's no way that someone's getting away with just disappearing for all hours of the day and night, fucking prostitutes, taking them out to the middle of the woods, dumping their bodies. And then he just comes to them mm. and says, where do we have for dinner? And then
0: I'm going to go back out and move the body.
1: Yeah. And then I'm going to go back tomorrow because after work, I don't have anything better to do. So very odd. At least two of his victims were transported as far away as Portland, which is, I mean, that's a few hours drive. It's a three hour drive from Seattle to Portland. You're not making that trip on a short jump.
0: This is me just spiraling out of control. Don't you think we're going to smell by that point?
1: Definitely. You're
0: driving this stanky corpse.
1: Definitely, yo. There's no doubt about that. Decomposition takes hold. But yeah.
0: Wouldn't they get his car, though?
2: That, is that part he didn't think through. Once they find his car, they'll be able to peg all these on him because he's going to have dead bodies in his car.
1: I mean, they didn't, though. Why would you look in his car if he's not... He, he was a suspect, quote-unquote. His plans were to throw authorities off his trail by any means necessary or even to divert them to another suspect, which coincidentally made sense since there was another prominent active serial killer in the area. At least one, if not two. Um. When bodies first started appearing with more frequency, though, the Kings County Sheriff Department formed the Green River Task Force, hoping to uncover some details about the person responsible. This included some very high-profile people within law enforcement and even federal law enforcement, even though the jurisdiction never really took over because it was all within one state, they were using the FBI's profiling to help try and catch this person. They also got help from another unlikely source with a profile, somebody far closer in, shall we say, motivation? None other than the serial killer who'd been plaguing the same area for nearly a decade himself. At the time, again, we're talking... Mid-80s, okay? Ted Bundy was incarcerated in Florida for the murder of dozens of young women at this point. He's awaiting death row. Task force members, two of whom included Robert Keppel and Dave Riker, two detectives who periodically interviewed the incarcerated serial killer Ted Bundy. That's what we're talking about. They offered him the opportunity to give his insight actually and i should say he actually reached out to them offering it bundy offered his opinions on the psychology motivations behavior of the killer ironically enough their psychological profiles bundy's and green river killer were remarkably similar similar modus operandi similar target victim same age a lot of the just similar traits bundy allegedly sent a letter to Detectives Keppel and Riker detailing what he knew about the Washington serial killer and how he could help. And they flew down to Florida and met with him, which I think is kind of cool, because we talked about this at least, like Ed Gein, right? These are the people who you're maybe they could help. Maybe we could use his insight on a guy like this. You know, he's killing the same demographic of people in the same area. Bundy suggested that the killer was revisiting the dump sites to have sex with the victims, which turned out to be true. He was right about that. And that if police found a fresh grave, they should stake it out and wait for him to come back. Isn't that nuts? Imagine sitting there across the table from a guy. That you're- this dude's killed dozens of people, and he's telling you how another serial killer does what he already did.
0: I don't know. I'm the queen of tangents tonight, but who's was his motivation. Bundy? Yeah. yeah.
1: I think he just wanted to involve himself in the investigation. Great, which is kind of... Kind of creep. He could be in there throwing them off his, te- right, off his tail, but...
0: Like, you know, they're not offering to take you off Jethro. You're doing this for what purpose?
1: He got nothing from what I can tell. Like- except recognition, which is what he ultimately yeah. very much wanted. Bundy was a sick fox. He proved to be an asset, though, despite being a sociopath. He became a regular interviewee of Keppel and Reichert, Continued to offer his unfiltered opinion on the psychology of the still-active Green River Killer as well as his motivations and what he could tell was similar in behavior. And again, Bundy was in jail, keep in mind. The area he was active in, the modus operandi were so similar, the elements of necrophilia, the profile of the victims, the age of the killer, all of these things fit. It might as well have been another Ted Bundy. He was the same type of guy, except he was targeting people a little differently. That was the only real difference. Bundy found ways to manipulate his way into people's confidence. Gary Ridgway kind of paid for it. He got people into his car by being, here's money. Still, other than that, largely similar. Even the way they killed some of their victims is similar. According to David Reichert, Ted Bundy also shared several things in common with Gary Ridgway, especially in regard to his mindset. Reichert said, first off, there's no remorse. He doesn't have feelings toward anybody, his family included. That's what I saw in Bundy, and that's what I saw in Ridgeway. One sign of sociopathy, psychopathy, is that there is no emotional discourse. They're just largely emotionless and don't have... Remorse, eh, remorse is one on a list of things that they're incapable of feeling. They don't really have any ties to things psychologically where they're like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. It's Well, if that's going to make me feel better. I'm going to do it. And the crazy thing is, they're getting Bundy's profile. There's a task force assembled. You're getting the FBI to give you details. Dozens of women have disappeared. And Gary Ridgway was interviewed as early as 1983. We think he committed his first murder in July of 82. He was first interviewed in 1983 and was considered a suspect during all the initial investigations. And remember, this is in the time before DNA was a critical element to investigations. The suspect police are searching for was strictly circumstantial. All the pieces had to fit. Like, you're not going to arrest this guy. Based on the fact that, yeah, we know he likes to frequent prostitution areas, and we know he's been arrested for solicitation, and he has sex workers in his car a lot. Yeah, they couldn't hold him based on that. Despite help from Ted Bundy and the accuracy of the profile he'd given, it was several more years before the Green River Killer was eventually apprehended. The search continued as more and more women were turning up dead in the state of Washington. Let's talk a little bit about how they eventually caught up to this dude, because again... This went on for not exaggerating, guys, 19 years.
2: Do you think that's possible? No.
1: No. I don't. I don't. I thought I I was thinking about this while I was writing this case. I was thinking about like, even if you're in rural bumblefuck, like I was in Montana in October of 2020. And I was thinking about this. I'm in the middle of Montana and there is it is so wide open. It is huge out there. And I could not help think, dude, there's so many places to hide a body out here. Like you could go dig a hole. (laughs)
0: There's a crime committed today. There's no way it's taken 19 years to solve. I mean, there's still crimes that were originally investigated long ago.
1: I'm seriously talking about serial killers. Because you can commit a crime right now. People die every day where we don't know who the fuck did that, you know?
0: Right, right, right. Let me rephrase. Serial killers. I think the cases that began, quote unquote, long ago, there's crucial things that... Because of technology, was just
1: missed. never
0: going to be able to yeah. uncover. You know what I think about a lot? The case with that 16 year old who threw her
2: baby in a dumpster and then it was found by dumpster divers. Yeah. And it was alive because it was found by random strangers that happened to be dumpster diving in that dumpster at that time. How many bodies do you think are in garbage cans that no one knows? No one will ever find in landfills like they're gone? Because you have to think that baby was only found because it was still alive by the grace of God after six hours. And because random people were dumpster diving in that dumpster at that time, otherwise that baby was gone. I'll
1: bet you you started really digging through landfills, especially some places where back in the day there were heavier uh, mafia, gang, whatever activity where there's high violent crime ratio. I guarantee you there are dozens, hundreds, thousands of bodies that have just never been turned up. We don't know where they're at. Now, if someone goes missing, what do we do? We go check CCTV, right? Okay, this car came through this intersection at 1201. This person got picked up here by this car. Recently, we had a murder happen in our hometown. We'll cover that case when it eventually comes to fruition. This woman was an Uber driver, went missing. Within three days, they had not only found her body, they had uncovered who killed her and had footage from her uber of him getting in her car with a gun
2: yeah she had a dash cam which makes it even more sad because people get those obviously to protect themselves well they they ask me like like, i
1: grabbing a knife honestly my knife is in here and you got a gun here i'm not getting to that knife in time you don't think in those moments and they say panic takes over you don't think clearly you're just please don't kill me for a lot of ridgeway's victims by that point too they're in the middle of the fucking woods and you're probably naked or at least halfway naked you're probably not wearing shoes if we are in the middle of the woods I, and, and this dude has me in his car
0: i was gonna say why would your shoes be off if you took off your pants i'm gonna put them back on <laughs> Pardon all right
1: uh, hang on put these back on all right i'm ready
2: zach's yeah. gonna have some questions yeah. for me And when going start wearing your shoes to bed yeah uh, please,
1: please i need to leave in 1982 and 2000 gary ridgeway was arrested for prostitution related charges It was as a result of the first arrest that he became the initial suspect for the murders. And then after his 2,000 arrests that they realized, oh, he's still in on it. Although he remained out of police custody for those 18, 19 years in between. Crazy thing is to me, he was still living in Seattle.
2: I think it's cockiness, right? He's Uh, proud. uh, I'm at the bars with the police officers. This
1: is my home.
2: And Bundy did that. Bundy
1: did that. He went to the bars. There's a lot of things that people don't realize when they inject themselves into the case or when they communicate with law enforcement, it's just a power grab. It's literally, I'm I'm smarter than you. You'll never catch me. It's very common. So Ridgway originally became a suspect in the Green River Killings in 1983 after his 82 arrest. At the time though, there was no evidence to hold him on and he was never arrested again for the murders. In 1984, he was questioned again, voluntarily took and passed a polygraph test. Just goes to show you, though, the polygraph is not a flawless system. There are ways to beat it. And again, he slipped through the fingers of the police and the task force in 84. He's a suspect almost as early as his killing spree began. He became more efficient about his methods over time. He was able to evade capture. On April 7th, and this is a critical point of the investigation, police took hair and saliva samples from Gary Ridgway to keep in case they ever needed them. That's very poignant. It wasn't a guarantee. At the time, DNA evidence was becoming more prevalent on the horizons of criminal investigations. We are starting to see more evidence being used in these trials. That was before that became the main crux. By that point, mid to late 80s, Gary Ridgway's held a pretty steady job at Kenworth. Dude worked there for 30 years. No complaints. He'd also been married three different times, which is impressive because... I haven't had a girlfriend in like four years. His third wife was a woman named Judith Mawson, who claimed she did not know about his crimes until after he was arrested and was absolutely stunned when she found out the details of his murder spree and how he was fucking dead bodies. Mawson, and this is no joke, I quoted this directly. Mawson said that Ridgway was the, quote, perfect husband and had always treated her, quote, like a newlywed even after they'd been together for 17 years. She never noticed him acting out of the ordinary and was unaware of his proclivities for sex workers. Didn't know. Ridgway later confessed that he had been tempted to kill Mawson on multiple occasions. He only decided against it because her death might have increased his chances of getting caught. That's one of those things where you thought you had a shitty day. It's, oh man, he's a serial killer. And then he's like, yeah, I almost thought about killing your ass too. I would have gotten caught. Although, still, after his arrest, Gary Ridgway claimed that he truly loved Judith Moss. According to the timeline of his known murders, his kill rate actually went down after they'd gotten married. In the meantime, Judith, who filed for divorce after his confessions, said that she felt like she had saved lives by, quote, being his wife and making him happy.
0: The real American hero.
1: True OG, honestly. I And God admire the woman for being able to live with this man for that long. I mean, and had the wherewithal to stay with him despite being what he was. She said she didn't know any of it. Still, come on. You're, there's got to be something. She claimed that she hadn't even suspected Ridgeway's of any crimes before she was contacted by the authorities in 1987. And the best part is, Jules, she had not even heard of the Green River Killer before that time.
0: That's because Gary had the channel cut from the yeah,
1: exactly. We are not watching. No oh, news, please. As soon as the news came on, he's like, "Turn that shit up!" I yeah. uh, Can't watch that miserable. <laughs> I got to say though, blissfully unaware is an understatement for this woman. She was chilling, no clue what was going on, and happy as a clam. Good for her. Sorry for everybody else. Good for her. By this time, we're through the eighties. Ridgeway's been living a pretty normal life through the 90s. Still pretty normal. He's killing people. He's still largely undetected. The task force was starting to close in on him by the turn of the millennium. There was more evidence that he was in the area of several of the women who disappeared, and the timeline for some of his victims matched with inconsistencies of him being unaccounted for. Someone placed his car on scene and indicated that the company he worked for was open for her to see. There was a Kenworth sign on the side of one of his trucks, I guess. And she spotted him around the sites of one of the disappearances. That was like the first, okay, this is the guy. We're sure it was him. Here's an eyewitness account. At the time as well, DNA evidence had started to become a lot more prevalent, heavily used, and relied upon. It wasn't considered some voodoo science anymore. With all of this piling up, Ridgway was arrested on suspicion of murdering four women nearly 20 years earlier after first being identified as a potential suspect when DNA evidence conclusively linked semen left in the victims to a saliva swab taken from the police in 1987. The task force in 2001 finally identified Ridgway via the evidence collected from four of his victims. They used that same sample. Fourteen years later, and finally pinned it on the guy. Got to give credit to the police for the diligence. And if you watch interviews, they are so emotional talking about it. I mean, they spent 20 years pursuing this guy.
0: I just love that they took his DNA, just in case.
1: I love that, too, Drew. You know, well, we might need it. Yeah.
0: I'm going to hold on to it. Thank you very much.
1: There's a great... Ah, oh man, I got to remember which doc it was. I think it was on a There's a great interview with Dave Reichert, where he's, we get a call from the head of the task force, coming to the office, and he's holding a yellow envelope. And he's... I have the name of the Green River Killer in here. And Dave Reichert said, is it Gary Ridgeway? And he handed it to him, and he opened it up, and there it was. But he knew it. It's like finding the golden ticket right there. I knew it was this motherfucker the whole time. We couldn't hold it. You know, like that's- That's so frustrating. Think about that. I know. That's why I I could never be a cop, man. That is such a difficult job, especially a detective. You deal with so much shit. All these victims are still piling up. And frankly, this dude's laughing in your face about it. You know? Four victims originally identified. Three more victims were added to the indictment after a forensic scientist identified microscopic spray paint spheres as a specific brand and composition of paint used at the Kenworth factory during the specific time frame when the victims were killed. Because Ridgeway was going to work spray painting the trucks. They found evidence, and that's why this is so critical. Forensic science has become the... Lynchpin for so many of these cases. Whereas it used to be, we got to know who did it. No, this is the only way to know who really did it. Now he's got seven bodies on his rap. right? By the time of his trial, Gary Ridgway was facing 48 murder charges. He was connected to 41 additional killings after that. His DNA was connected to seven victims, and Ridgway was facing the death penalty in Washington in exchange for life imprisonment. He decided. To plead guilty and to provide the locations of his remaining victims' remains to the task force.
0: You think he had a notebook?
1: I wondered about that. How did he keep track?
0: I'm sorry, like it's forty eight
1: Dude, it's more than that. When you oh hear the final number.
0: I think about that though.
2: I think when you do something so significant, you might not forget.
0: Forty eight times, huh?
2: Yeah? Maybe yeah. he has like a tree that he really liked and he was, I know I put a lot bro, of
1: bro, there's no way. He just off the cuff and Yeah, she was whose day? August 8th in the sunoco parking lot
0: there's a certain threshold where you might remember unless he's placing all the bodies together well it seems
2: like he's gone back and visited a lot of them maybe it's like going to chuck e cheese you go once you forget about it you go
0: twice you'll never forget it is
1: that it. the comparison <laughs> we is it
0: i say pizza it's trying. not great. it's not good as an adult i took the kids i nanny. It it's it's one
1: dude. that is awful that is cardboard with the sauce on it okay so again he's been linked to 48 victims, and he's shown them around. On November 5th, 2003, Ridgeway entered a guilty plea to 48 charges of aggravated first degree murder as part of his plea bargain agreed upon in June that would spare him of execution in exchange for cooperation in locating the remains of his victims and providing details about their deaths. He was later implicated on charges of 71 murders in total. When I said Bundy, and he accounted for over 100. Bundy was confirmed to have killed 35, even though they estimated might have been as many as hundreds. Ridgway was confirmed to have killed 71, even though they expected might have been as many as 90. In a taped interview with Dave Reichert on December 31st, 2003, Ridgway claimed to have murdered 71 victims and confessed to having had sex with them before killing them, a detail which he did not reveal until after his sentencing. In accompaniment with his guilty plea, he made a statement explaining that he had killed all his victims inside King County, Washington, and that he had transported and dumped the remains of the two women near Portland to confuse police. He evaded capture for nearly two decades by selecting victims he could take advantage of and dumping their bodies in places it would take time to find. Also, I just want to point out, it's pretty crazy. There are Well, taped interviews. He did several taped interviews with Riker, Keppel, a couple other investigative reporters. He claimed that murdering young women was his real career, quote, unquote.
0: That's what it says on his LinkedIn page? Yeah,
1: that's his thing. He also personally showed the members of the task force where the remains of his victims were, which is also on tape. There are literally video of him in the early 2000s, it's not the greatest quality, where He's literally, I was over here and I parked here and that tree is where I buried her. I mean, he literally went blow by blow through each crime scene. And meanwhile, he's standing there in handcuffs and a fucking jumpsuit showing them I was here and then I parked over here like crazy. And one thing that's actually a little different about Gary Ridgway from a lot of these other serial killers that we've discussed, he's still alive. To this day, I don't think he has access to the podcast. If he does, give us a shout.
2: I mean, you never know because Varg had access to a synthesizer in jail.
1: That's true, right? Yeah, he made some fire beats.
2: And let's not even get into what fucking Heather Mac, Blondie Mac, or whatever the fuck her name was got. She was making. She was also in Bali.
1: Yeah, Gary Ridgway is still alive today. He's currently seventy-two years old and living his life sentences, all forty-eight of them at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. Ridgway is obviously expected to spend the rest of his life behind bars and then the next 48 lives after that.
0: It's just crazy that they do that. I don't understand. I was looking at pictures of Gary Ridgway, and there is a Father's Day card on Etsy. And it says, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, once picked up a sex worker with his son in the car, then took her into the woods and killed her while the boy waited in the vehicle. Happy
1: Father's Day. Thanks for including me in your hobbies. Oh, my God, What the fuck is wrong with people? All right, let's get off this roller coaster and let's talk about a couple questions. Question one for you guys. You know I always like to come up with puzzling ones. Do we believe in Gary Ridgway's theory that he was able to avoid detection for so long by killing vagrants, runaways, sex workers, etc.?
0: yes next question especially in that period of american history i think things are a little little bit different now i don't know i i'm trying to be optimistic not they're not great
2: we talked about this in the mary vincent episode Lawrence singleton killed someone who was a sex worker and they definitely treated even in the media talking about her murder they treated it differently and i think unfortunately it's Another bias. People think of sex work as lesser than, lower than, and they're not worth life. And I do think that contributed to the fact that he was able to get away with this shit for so long. And he admitted it. He said, I pick people who I didn't think people would care about. And that's the saddest part.
1: I agree. I actually made a note here. I think that's really the only reason he got away with it for so long. Other than the obvious, there was no DNA evidence. If he was killing housewives, you think 71 people would have ended up dead before somebody realized what he was doing?
2: No way, Jose. Uh, and, you know, and, and same thing with the missing white women's syndrome. We need to start paying attention to everyone, not just the people that society deems as important. Everyone is somebody's baby.
1: If DNA evidence was able to be uncovered and utilized sooner, do we think he would have been such a threat?
0: No. He seemed very reckless in where his DNA went, like transporting bodies into your car.
1: Uh, Yeah, right? He didn't didn't give uh, two fucks if anybody knew what he was doing. I'm
0: curious if DNA
2: was a factor, if he would have been more careful. That that makes me think about today. We don't see serial killers taunting the police these days Mm -hmm. because it's traceable. Everything's traceable. It's very hard to be incognito when you're talking to the police or the media or whatever. It makes me wonder how many of them are out there still doing this and getting away with it that we don't know about. And they don't want to tell us because they don't want to start mass damage. No, I agree with Jules. I think he might have changed his strategy as he was right this moment. I don't think he would have been as quote unquote successful in his endeavors had technology caught up with him first.
1: I would agree. I honestly don't think he would have ever had opportunities presented to him either. This question has been burning for a little while. Gary Ridgway was a prolific serial killer and he was able to be profiled by another one. Yeah, it's wild. Does this say something about not executing convicted serial killers to be able to further profile them or the veracity of their conclusions, I guess?
2: Personally, I think it depends on the person we're talking about because if the person is vicious, violent, disgusting, unwilling to say anything to help, then, you know, do Matt's little dance and take him outside and do whatever. I don't remember what episode I said this in. I think family should have more of a say in sentencing of people who have harmed their loved ones in this Case, however, I, I think Ted Bundy was an asset. Go back, back to, to his answer. motivation
0: because he could have been fucking, with
1: especially a guy like Bundy too, who you know he's intelligent. He's an attorney. He's sitting across the table from you, looking at you. Do you think he's killing? Yeah, you? and you're like, he's uh. like
0: riddles and shit. He did,
1: yeah. He was very That's cricket. Right.
0: And to him especially, you got nothing out of this if you're gonna sit here and I can trust that you're. T-
1: you're telling me right? Yeah, it's almost like they did get them. It, it, they got a lot. Well, she's saying Bundy didn't get shit out of it. Like he couldn't negotiate That's for right. anything
0: right why are you yeah like, what's
1: what's your motivation him? bro
0: yeah. well i guess it doesn't that's the point
1: there's two sides to it though right maybe he wants the attention again yeah, it looks it's, back it's, in the spotlight right. and he's fucking bored yeah this one 23 I mean. hour lockdown shoe program he's bored yeah i'll talk to you guys about that. i get to leave the cell for more than an hour a day yeah i'll talk to you guys But well, if
2: you think about it that way why would any serial killer ever talk why did edmund Kemper talk about his yeah. crime
1: I, honestly, it's a question that I've thought a lot about because you guys know how I feel about the death penalty, but it's yeah. am applied is what I always say. I'm normally the first one to be like, take my back. Then I look at a case like this, right? And it almost proves me wrong. It's dude, I would be the first one to tell you, you don't fucking need Ted Bundy anymore, dude. No use for that guy. There's no good that he can provide to the world sitting in a, in a cell in Florida. Then he does something like this. So, okay, maybe I shouldn't be so quick to rush judgment, but at the same time, I still think Ted Bundy's a piece of shit. And I still think Gary Ridgway's a piece of shit. Well,
2: I mean, pretty much everybody we talk about on this podcast, unless we're talking about a victim exclusively, is a piece of shit. Yes. That's just
1: Many of the of killers it. we talk about are what we would describe as pieces of shit. This is one of those cases that kind of throws me off because I'm, this changes how my outlook on these pieces of shit is.
0: I mean, do you think he gives them anything that they didn't know? He's profiling women who he thinks, what he cares about. He's having sex with them. I just feel like it's invaluable information that Ted
1: Bundy. I think the biggest thing, and I think that they would agree, was that he told them that he was a macrophile who was returning to the bodies. And granted, it didn't end up helping catch him. Like, yeah, he didn't really give them any. P. Sherman, forty-two, while well, he wasted way <laughs> he couldn't point out his address. He gave them another <laughs> information to kind of narrow it down. I mean, like, do you
2: wonder if the poli- policeman was staked out in like the woods where one of the crime scenes was, and he returned, saw them, they didn't see him, and left. How creepy is that? What? Because I probably haven't. He probably oh. looked. He went back to the body, saw police guys. Was like, not. went that one.
1: Yeah, Man out. All right. Question four, I already asked. I'm going to say it again. Is there something going on with Seattle? Y'all good? Everything cool up there? All right. Question five, you already know what's coming. Eye for an eye. Was justice met? 48 life sentences to be served consecutively in a maximum security facility in walla walla.
0: I feel like this is my line every episode well not every episode he is not going to enter society over again because he's sentenced case. to 800 life sentences. Right. in that, in that case, case we're achieving the end goal do i think death would have been a more suitable punishment probably
1: yeah it's one of those weird ones i think jules right this dude is never coming back he's never gonna work at kenworth again right he's never gonna be gary ridgeway who lives down the road like No, he's not coming back. Would I feel terrible if he was executed? No, probably not, because what are we really doing with him otherwise?
2: Does he continue to talk?
1: He does. I mean, he still gives interviews. I think, honestly, the Bundy case was so unique. He and Bundy, because they were so similar in their- They
0: were partners in crime. I mean,
1: almost you'd think they were. At least they were so similar in their profiles to every- Even the way they had tried to evade authorities, to the way they interacted with the police. So much about Bundy was similar to Ridgeway that I think it almost kind of makes sense. Yeah, it would be nice if we could find another serial killer who he could give us information on. Are we keeping him alive just the off chance that somebody like him ever pops up again?
2: Well, how do we know that they're not using him? They're just not announcing it to the world. We don't.
1: Because
2: I think my brain says that there's definitely funky stuff happening. They keep it under wraps because they don't want to cause panic.
0: Gear Dog knows the secrets behind donald's ice cream machine and that's why they're keeping 100 and the
2: and the chuck e cheese pizzas conspiracy i told you chuck e cheese always comes back i just like the name gareth better i know it's not his name gareth makes me want a mullet on that note everybody it's been a real ride uh i don't know how many tangents Joel's is going to cut out of this thank you for coming to tangent city we're all hyped up on the tums and coffee and uh, now I need some sleep. Everybody, rate, review, subscribe, love us, list us. <laughs> love us or list us. Hit us up. We have a lot of shows coming to you when we all find the time. Yeah. Cool. Yep. <laughs> That's that. cool. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah.
1: Goodbye, y'all.
2: See ya. See ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.